Well, let's get our Bibles and turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five is where we're going to begin. And then we're going to take a look once again at Matthew chapter number 16. We have been ministering for the last little while here concerning this area of offense, the area concerning offense. And we've been looking at uh, various things in regards to what it means to operate in offense where it pertains to the believer uh, and believer to believer or inside of the Christian church. And then we've looked at these areas in Romans chapter 12 that talks about it in pertaining to folks that are outside of the church or non-believers. And we're going to uh, believe conclude that section on this morning. But we're going to begin here, if you will, at Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five. Now notice this. This will be our text in verse number 13. The scripture says this. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is there thenceforth good for nothing. But to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. This same passage of scripture says it like this in the Amplified Version of the Bible. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, and then the Amplified uses the term purpose, how can it be made salty? Now notice he says, you are intended by God. To be different in an environment that God sets you. He says you are intended to be the one that brings forth the flavor of the kingdom of God into an environment. But he says if the salt has lost its taste or in other words, as the Amplified does say, if it's lost its purpose, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for nothing or anything but to be thrown out and walked on by people when the or when the walkway are wet and slippery in other words it ain't good for nothing except walking on because you know as we move into the winter time of the year he's talking in terms of when you put salt out on the on the ground it is for people to walk on it so that they won't lose their their, their feet their footing right now he's saying it does have a purpose. If it loses its general purpose, which is to add flavor, it's going to be put out and for another purpose. And the thing that we need to understand from this passage of scripture is, again, that we don't lose our purpose for the environment that God sets us in. And one of the ways we lose our purpose is through this area of offense. Turn over, if you will, to Matthew chapter number 16 once again. Matthew chapter number 16. And let's look at verse number 24. Out of the Amplified Version of the Bible. Notice it says here, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself. He says, Set aside selfish interests and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come. And follow me, believing in me, conforming to me or my example, in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. He says, if you desire to be my disciple, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you setting aside or self-denial, setting aside self-interest. 
This is, again, one of the things I am more and more and more and more convinced of is that God often hears no from people. That God says, I want you to live this way. People say, I don't want to live that way. God says, I want you to conform to the way I'm telling that the kingdom operates. And people say, I don't want to do it that way. How many knows does God hear? And how many times have you said no when God's told you to do or operate a certain kind of way? The life of faith is a life of total surrender to the will and the purposes of God. And God a lot of times has to take years and years and years and years working with us to get us to a position where he can finally use us because we've set aside selfish interest. We've expressed a willingness to endure whatever may come and we believe in him and we conform to his example. The question is, again, have you lost your saltiness or your purpose? And so turn over once again to Romans chapter number 12. Now that we have that in this proper seat, now we begin to understand this latter area of offense. This latter area of offense. Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Now notice this. This we conclude this section of our teaching. He says, be not overcome of evil. The King James use of, of evil, but overcome evil with good. The voice translation uses that same scripture and it says it this way. Let, oh, it says, never let evil get the best of you. Never let evil get the best of you. He said, instead, overpower evil with good. One more translation. In the passion, it says, never let evil defeat you. It's possible. For you to allow evil to defeat you. It is possible for you to allow evil, in fact, to overcome you. You know, um, you know, when you watch certain things, you know, I, I, I only know based on maybe television and maybe limited exposure with the police force um, and, and talking with police officers. But when they go undercover for an amount of time. You know, they have some people do a wellness check on them because they got to see, you know, are you still remembering your purpose in the environment or is the environment overtaking you? And so they do a check to see, OK, have you started to conform to the thing that you are supposed to be fixing? And what happens is sometimes they've been in the environment, been in the environment so much that their clouded thinking begins to now conform to the culture that they are around instead of them being salt and light in the environment for which they've been placed. This is what happens sometimes when Christians are deployed and they separate themselves from going to church. Church is the place, it's the lifeline so that you can continue to do what you need to do in the environment that God sets you. But what a lot of times people do is they forget what the purpose is that they've been set to a particular organization, set to a particular workplace. And they say, all right, I got to do my job and I got to separate from church. And they don't understand the only reason why you can be successful over there is because of your connection over here. And you got to make sure that your connection over here stays in place because it's going to allow for your saltiness to stay in place over here. You can't say, well, I got to take a couple overtime time over here. I got to do all this. And you spend so much time in the environment that you are no longer effective in the environment. You've lost your connection. He says, watch this. Be not overcome of evil. 
Let or never let evil get the best of you. He says, never let it defeat you. Don't let evil defeat you. But he says, but defeat it. And he says, the solution for you defeating evil is with this area of good. Proverbs 25, once again. Proverbs 25. Because Romans is essentially linking us back to Proverbs chapter 25. Notice what it says once again in verse 21. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. Feed the hunger that is inside of your enemy is what he's saying. Feed the hunger that's inside of your enemy. That's going to take a level of humility because you don't want to feed the hunger that's inside of your enemy. But perhaps that's the reason why God showed you the area where they need to be fed. He says, if they are thirsty or another way of looking at that, if they are in need of nourishment, he says, give them water to drink. Don't let them thirst. He says, verse 22, for he says, for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. And he says, when you do things my way, he says, the Lord and the Lord and the Lord and the Lord shall reward thee. Now, notice what it says out of the Passion Translation. I love how this Passion uh, Translation says it. It says out of the latter portion of it, he says, your surprising generosity will awaken his consciousness and God will reward you with favor. Maybe that's why the favor of God shows up because it's the reward of God. Maybe that's why those things happen in your life. It's because it's the favor of God. Because God says there are tangible things that I'll do in the environment that I set you in in order for you to exist. He says, when you do things my way, it may not seem like it, but you are awakening the consciousness of your enemy. Now notice this. If evil has the potential to overcome me, I need to understand and I need to look at some markers of what it looks like when evil, in fact, does begin to overcome me. Galatians 6 and verse 8 tells us when you sow to your flesh, you will of your flesh reap corruption. So if I decide to get in my flesh, I am going to reap a harvest of decay. I'm going to reap a harvest uh, 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 of to become in ruin or to perish. So when I decide to operate in my flesh, there are certain things that are going to begin to happen. Or when evil is beginning to overtake me, that means essentially that I am conforming to the world instead of, in fact, being what I am supposed to be, which is light and darkness. But one of the things that God dropped in my heart in concerning this particular area is how do you know when evil is beginning or starting to overcome me? Because it's one thing for us to say that and mentally assent it and say, that's right. I won't let evil overcome me, Reverend. Amen. Glory to God. Go home. It means something totally different when we break it out a little bit further so that we can understand what it looks like when evil is, in fact, beginning to overcome you. The first area that we talked about is when we know evil beginning is beginning to overcome you is number one, you no longer have a concern for people. You no longer have a concern for people. Matthew 24 verse 12 talks about when Jesus is speaking and regarding the latter days, he says that the love of many shall wax cold. I submit to you, that's what begins to happen in the life of a believer when the environment is overcoming them and they're not overcoming the environment. All of a sudden, you don't consider people anymore. 
You're not interested in them. You're not interested in their life. You're not interested in what's going on with them. You're not interested in praying for them. None of that because you've sliced off yourself from the environment. It's like y'all do you and I'm going to do me. And that's not what you're supposed to do as a Christian. I'm supposed to be invested in the life of people. Yes, in the life of people that love me, but yes, also in the life of people that do not. I remember about a year ago, I had a young man that was in my office and he didn't like me and I ain't really care for him. either. And one of the things that I begin to see as I begin to elevate in the position in my office, one of the things God kept telling me is I want you to just talk to him. I want you to tell him that you for him. I want you to tell him that what you need, I'll do whatever I can to make sure that you are successful. And God was like, just keep being the best that you can to this young man. I said, but Lord, I don't want to be nothing to him because you remember. And one of the things I begin to see now, he had to make a choice in regards to how he was going to respond. But one of the things I begin to see is that he began to some of the ice begin to chip off him a little bit until we had another issue down the line. But at this point, I begin to see we begin to have some dialogue because up to this point, we weren't having any dialogue whatsoever. What was happening was I was praying for him and his family. When I saw him go outside and and get on the phone and have some kind of fussing on somebody on the other end, I said, Lord, touch his family, touch his life. God begin to move in his environment. God get his attention. I could not cut him off because that's not what salty people do. How do I know when evil is overcoming me? It's because my love for them begins to wax cold. Romans chapter 13 and verse number eight. Romans chapter 13 and verse number eight. Watch this, says this. Oh, no man, anything but to love one another. He says your one obligation that you have towards humanity is to love one another. I don't have a choice as a believer whether or not I'm going to love you. And that does mean sometimes I got to love you by faith. Lord, help me to love them. Help me to love them, God. You see, well, they help me to love them, God. You said that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So I believe by faith I have the ability, I have the capacity to love the one that don't love me. Number two, how do I know when evil is overcoming me? How do I know when evil is overcoming me? We said number two was self-righteousness abounds. When evil begins to overcome me, I can't see myself clearly. You can only see the fault of the other person. You don't see any of the things that you do to contribute to the environment that you in. You only see them as the threat, as the issue, as the offender. And God, a lot of times we will use the person that's offending you to clean you up, to trim you up, to prune areas out of your life that he's been dealing with you concerning. Maybe you need to deal with certain areas and this issue, this situation shows up in your life and it is not because God didn't ordain it. Maybe it's because God ordained it to show you that you really have to walk in love, show you you really have to be patient, to show you you really have to endure some things. How do I know when evil is overcoming me? Because self-righteousness abounds. Number three, how do I know when evil is overcoming me is because you become petty. You've become petty. Evil has overcome you when you are petty. Well, what is petty? 
The word petty means involves becoming or being overly critical. You become overly critical. They can't do nothing right. <laughs> the way they operate, that's wrong. The way they talk, well, that's wrong. The way they do this, that's wrong. They can't do nothing right. It also means holding grudges over insignificant disagreement. You said what? <laughs> now, now I'm mad all day over this one little item. See, you didn't used to do that. You used to let it go. But now, now it's too many hits now. <laughs> That's too much. To become petty, I'm holding a grudge over the most minute issue. It doesn't have to be significant now. Anything you do now, now offends me. To become petty means engaging in actions aimed at frustrating or annoying others in a seemingly immature or vindictive manner. Let me say that one more time. To become petty means engaging in actions aimed at frustrating or annoying others. You are doing stuff to frustrate people. You are purposely doing things to annoy people. He says, or in a seemingly or, or annoying others in a seemingly immature or vindictive manner. To become petty means I am looking to get you back little by little in any way possible. Notice this. Let's turn over to Luke chapter number nine. <clears throat> Luke chapter number nine, now the King James Version of the Bible. Luke chapter number. In fact, let's look at this in the voice translation. Can we do that? The voice translation. The scripture says in Luke chapter number nine and verse number 52. The Bible says this. He sent some people ahead of him unto the territory of Samaria. A minority, a majority, a minority group at odds with the Jewish majority. He wanted his messenger to find a place for them to stay in the village along the road to Jerusalem. Verse 53. But because the Samaritans realized Jesus was going to Jerusalem, they refused to welcome them. So this community was at odds with each other. Jesus was on his way to this community and then they found out where he was going and they said, we ain't got no space for you. They refused to welcome him. Now notice this, verse 54. This is his disciples speaking. He says, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy these people who have rejected you? Just like Elijah did. Now, this is the master. Now, he got his boys. He said, go find us some place to be able to have a meeting, to be able to stay in this next town. And they rejected him. And his disciples said, Lord, you saw what they did? Do you want us to call fire down on this town and burn them up? Jesus says, watch this turning verse. He said, verse 54, Jesus turning towards them and shaking his head. <laughs> this is the master. He's shaking his head and said, Lord, have mercy, boys. You want to burn them up because they didn't welcome us? Notice what he says. He says, verse 55, you just, you just don't get it. This is out of the voice translation. The son of man didn't come to ruin the lives of people, but he came to liberate them. He led them towards another village. 
The King James Version of the Bible says this, verse 55, but he turned and he rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. When you get into a position where you want to be petty with people, you're operating by a certain kind of spirit. They didn't welcome Jesus. They, the disciples said, let's burn them up. You say, man, maybe that's extreme. But in your own life, when you become vindictive towards people, you are doing the same thing. And we don't realize how suddenly if we allow the environment to overcome us, you can see Christian people, born again, blood bought people operating every year of being petty with each other and in the environment. And you want to destroy people for minor things because of what they did. Turn over to Colossians chapter three and verse number 13. Colossians chapter three and verse number 13. Notice the scripture says this forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, you can keep that one up. That's fine. Look at the new living translation. The scripture says this make allowances. I love how this reads make allowances for each other's faults. Make allowances. For each other's faults. That means you're going to have some situations where people have faults or you have issues with them. He says, make an allowance for it and forgive everyone who offends you. Now, some of us look at this scripture and we see and forgive some. But he says, anyone who's offends, who offends you. And he said, why? Because remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Remember, it is, in fact, the fact that the Lord forgave you. Let's back up a little bit in that verse. Let's look at verse number 12. Put it in context once again. It says, since God chose you, I have the New Living Translation. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself, he says, with tenderheartedness or to be tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Sound like a fruit of the spirit again, right? And then he says, verse 13, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Why can I do so? Because I've clothed myself with a tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. When you do that, you are you get yourself in a position where you can make allowances for the faults of others. And forgive anyone who, in fact, offends you. Jesus says in Matthew chapter number five, once again, that there is a blessing on those that are peacemakers. What are you in the environment that God sent you? Are you one that's easily offended or are you a peacemaker? Being a peacemaker means sometimes you have offended me and I know it. You know it. You know you're wrong, but I have chosen that I'm going to bring peace in this environment. and I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to be touchy. I'm going to operate in love. I'm going to be a person that God can trust, even when they keep hitting me, that I'm going to stay in the spirit, knowing that God is the one that will vindicate me. Number four, how do I know when evil is overcoming me? How do I know when this environment is overcoming me and I'm not overcoming the environment? Number four, you moved into strife and gossip. I moved into an area because when I become petty, one of the manifestations of me becoming petty is the next thing that I do is operating these actions of becoming a person of strife and gossip. 
The word strife means a quarrel, wrangling. It means contention. It means to debate. It means an angry disagreement. I am looking for areas to pick a fight. And he says, and you move to an area of gossip instead of being a peacemaker. Proverbs 26 and verse number 20. And it's easy to do. You've been in the environment a long time. They've been getting on your nerves. Next thing you know, you start gossiping about the person. What did they do to you? Mm-hmm. You know, they <laughs> little by little. <coughs> Everywhere you go, you start stirring up stuff. You no longer bring the peace. You stir the strife. And that's the case with a lot of Christians. They no longer bring the peace into an environment. They stir things up. And yet they say they go to church. Yet they say they sing in the choir. Yet they say they do all of the spiritual things. All right. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse number 20 says this. Fire goes out without wood. The quarrels disappear when gossip stops. This is out of the New Living Translation. He says, all right, if you don't have any wood, the fire is going to go out. He says, and quarrels disappear when gossip start, stop. For Christians, we shouldn't be the ones that's bringing the wood saying, I see the fire starting to go out. Let me help it out a little bit more. Yeah, I see, I see people ain't talking about it no more. Here I am to start up again. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. I've seen this happen. Christian people, born again people, stir up stuff that God has settled. You know, God can settle an environment. Everybody come and everybody is good. And then that that Christian come in and say, well, y'all remember what happened? What you mean we all right? Look at the same verse out of the voice translation says, <coughs> the voice translation says, when there is no wood, the fire goes out. When there is no one to spread gossip, arguing stops. You know, in your environment, in where God places you, particularly when, it, when, when folks are talking about somebody that has, in fact, impacted you, you know, you can stop the gossip. When you get in the back corners, instead of getting to a place of agreement by the water cooler and saying, yeah, man, she did this too, or he did this too. And did you see that? You are bringing fire. You're bringing wood to the fire. How about us do something different and operate in the kingdom saying, you know what, guys, we're not going to do that today. All right, let's, 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 yeah, she might have did or he might have did, but I'm going to make a quality decision. Look, look guys, let's stop talking about this right now. It ain't making it no better. How about you be that Christian instead of the one that said, and did you see when they did this? <laughs> Notice this, 1 Corinthians chapter number three. This is Paul talking about the early church at Corinth. The King James Version of the Bible says, it like, says this. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. He says, for hither, hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. He said, I had to feed y'all with milk. There are a lot of milky churches these days. There's a lot of places where people are sucking on milk and we can never get into any meat. And he tells us why. Notice he says this, verse number three, for ye are yet. That means you still are. He says, yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, 
are ye not carnal and walk as men. He says, all right, these are three qualifiers that we can tell where you are spiritually, when there's envy, when there's strife, and when there's divisions. When you are the one that stirs up mess, when you are the one that is envious against someone else, when you are the cause of a division instead of being a peacemaker, we can see clearly that you are carnal and not spiritually mature. The spiritually mature understands these things and can be fed by the spirit of God with meat. Let's look over here, if you will, to the fifth reason. How do I know or how do I know when evil is overcoming me? How do I know when evil is overcoming me? I've been in this environment. And these are markers, once again, that I can tell when evil is getting the best of me because I'm no longer operating in good. When I can tell that evil is starting to defeat me. My connection with God is I'm losing my saltiness in this environment. The fifth reason or the fifth way that we can tell is number five. Watch this. You have lost your zeal. You've lost your zeal, the purpose of your placement. Notice what Jesus said once again out of Matthew chapter five. He says at verse 13, our text, it says, you are the amplified. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste or purpose. How can it be made salty? You can tell when or how do you know when evil has overcome you in this environment is when you have lost your zeal. You've lost the purpose of you being here. You no longer see a deployment situation. You see it as a job. You no longer see it as a deployment situation. You see it as a mean tune in that said, my, my walk is cold. I'm not interested in y'all. And if I do, am I, if I am interested in y'all, it's to stir up stuff. I've lost the purpose of me being there. I've turned inwardly to, selfless, to selfishness, losing my saltiness. It is when Christians become ineffective and unrecognizable. You become ineffective because you've lost the purpose. You know, that's the reason why God will a lot of times send another Christian into the same environment where you at. Because it's possible that that Christian that's at their head, it's possible that Christian that's in the environment has lost their way. And so God has to send somebody else into the environment to awaken their consciousness. But if you go in and you act like everybody else, You're going to lose your purpose too. Romans chapter 12 in verse number 11 as we close. 12 in verse 11 he says, Not slothfulness in busy, in business, fervent in spirit, saving or serving the Lord. Well, contextually he's talking about, we've been talking about this entire time, being not conformed to the world, being transformed by the of your mind, submitting yourself unto God. He says, watch this out of the Amplify. He says, never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Don't lose your zeal. He says, but be aglow and burning with the spirit serving the Lord. Never lose your zeal. And the thing is, as a Christian, we got to know when we start to lose our zeal. And this is when you go back before the presence of God, say, God, I need a refreshing. I need to be filled again. God, I need you to help me in this area so that I don't lose my saltiness. 
And he said, all you got to do is come before him and he'll fill you with what you need to do the assignment that he gave you. The question is whether or not I'm going to allow the environment to have more effect on me or am I going to be influenced by the spirit of God and allow his spirit to flow through me to do things that's beyond my eyes. The trophy. Notice this as I close. The trophy of the enemy is corrupted Christians. The greatest trophy of the enemy is not even that you die. It's corrupted Christians that have lost their saltiness, that have lost their purpose because he can point to them. He says, watch this. For when you or when corruption occurs, you become ineffective and unrecognizable, leading others towards the same path. One of the things about it, when you become a corrupted Christian, people begin to say, well, maybe that's the way Christians act. Maybe that's the standard. Maybe they do cuss just a little bit. Maybe they do fly off the handle. Because you are, in fact, see, we don't say this that often these days because we like to give excuses. You are the only Jesus that some people would ever see. You say you are a Christian. And they look at your life and they say, well, Maybe that's what Jesus acts like. But we clearly see from the scripture, Jesus said, no, there's a different spirit when you want to burn up people that have offended you. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Jesus does. And that's never what he's instructing you to do. He's always telling you to operate in love. Let's pray. Hello, I'm Lady Aisha W. Smith. Thank you for joining us today. We are the Training Center Church located here in Gastonia, North Carolina at 1314 West 2nd Avenue, Suite B. If you're joining us and this is your first time, we'd like to take this time to say thank you. If you're new to our area or if you're looking for a church home, we currently have our services on Thursday evening at 645 and 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday morning worship at 10 a.m. We'd like to invite you and your family and even a friend to join us live here in person where we have worship every Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Give thanks and be blessed. I'm Lady Aisha W. Smith. On behalf of our pastor, Pastor A.C. Smith, we love you and thank you so very much.